0: Well, good morning again, everyone, and as we have been uh, sort of capturing this morning and and referring to, we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? And uh, we're heading into that season where we are uh, joyful and thankful, and hopefully that's something that carries a year round, but there are sometimes things that get in our way of that even during this season, and that's what we're sort of going to address this morning. We uh, we wrapped up a series on joy last week with uh, the finishing of our study of Philippians, and we've encouraged everybody in, our life, in your life groups, our life groups, to do something joyful together this week. Do something in community. Do something where you have a lot of opportunity to laugh and enjoy each other's company. Because we're heading into the Christmas season. And I have a goal that I would like to set for our church this morning. I've been thinking about this a lot. It's something that I really want to share off of my heart uh, this morning. Exactly one month from tomorrow... We are going to gather on Christmas Eve, on that evening. It's going to be a Wednesday night. Many of you are going to have family and friends around you. And we are going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're going to celebrate him right here in this sanctuary. And so here's the goal today that I want to make in preparation for that day ahead. I want us all to get this Christmas right. And to get Christmas right, we have to be committed to putting Christ at the center of this Christmas. That's how we get Christmas right. Because here's what's about to happen, and you all know that this is coming. Somewhere between 8 o'clock and midnight on Thanksgiving, stores are going to start opening, aren't they? And the madness is going to begin... And over the course of the next month, every one of us is going to feel the challenges of many of the following pressures. We're going to be shopping for gifts. And not only will there be the time and the cost of shopping for the gifts, but there's the time and the cost of wrapping them appropriately and organizing them and getting everything ready in our houses. And we quickly understand how we overspend our gift budget that we started off with. And so the madness of spending could possibly begin. There are the parties and the gatherings and lots of food and probably lots of travel. And in general, there's just going to be a lot of busyness. And and now none of these things are in and of themselves bad. But when they dictate how we invest our time during the Christmas season, our spirits become out of tune with the purpose of why we celebrate Christmas. You see, we're approaching a season of Advent That's a four-week period of preparation for Christmas, and this takes its roots all the way back to the 5th century church. These were efforts by early church leaders of that time to encourage the people they were serving to look back, to look back on the miracle of God sending his one and only son to redeem the world, and also to look forward when that son would come back to restore and save the world. The intent of the season was to reflect on one's life, to measure our lives in relation to the amazing gift of God's grace, the amazing gift of his son. And so here are the following things that people think about as they prepare for this season. We are to prepare ourselves worthily to celebrate the anniversary of the Lord's coming into this world as the incarnate God of love. We are to make our souls a fitting dwelling place for our Redeemer. And we're to make ourselves ready for Jesus' second coming. Now this might be the old English teacher in me, but I certainly am drawn to verbs. I'm drawn to actions. And notice the things that we are called to do to prepare, to celebrate, to make our soul a dwelling place, to make ourselves ready. I think this needs to be our guide as we make sure that we get this Christmas right. Because we run the risk, if we don't, of hurrying too much through this season that's coming up. And we risk forgetting to find the joy in the reason for it. And so by the time we get to Christmas, and maybe you've been here before, I know that I have... By the time we're sitting here on Christmas Eve, and by the time we have Christmas Day, and by the time we start going into that week before the new year, we become exhausted by the busyness, don't we? We're just exhausted. And then we're left sort of sprawled out, wondering why it all went by so fast. You see, this busyness has nothing to do with why we celebrate the birth of Christ. So here's my challenge. As we get ready to get on this on-ramp of this Christmas season... Let's be intentional about investing ourselves, our time, our thoughts toward Jesus first before we get bombarded with everything else. Herman Miller was a great CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and he said that there are seasons in life when intentional is simply not good enough. Sometimes situations demand us to be deliberately intentional, and I like that. Let's be deliberately intentional about preparing ourselves to properly and adequately and fittingly offer our best worship to the God who gave us his only son. That's my goal for us in this next month. And next week we're going to begin a Christmas series titled Foretold. You see this beautiful graphic that Josh put together here this past week. And in this study we are going to talk and look at one simple verse, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And each of those four weeks, from November 30th, December 7th, 14th, 21st, we are going to look at the implications of what each of those roles that Jesus is foretold. (laughs) how that plays a role in our lives. And we're going to start with him next week as the Prince of Peace. And as we prepare ourselves for this study, one of the things you're going to see in the life group curriculum, just like the one we have just done in Philippians, we're going to have each person thoroughly examining themselves in light of the teachings and the learnings that we see in Jesus in each of those four areas. We're going to really be examining ourselves in the month ahead, preparing for that Christmas day, that Christmas celebration. John 3:16 tells us that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I'm thankful today for a God who is so generous that He gave us His only Son. Let's be generous with our time with Him. Let's live lives so filled with joy that we. Are constantly giving thanks. So before we start Christmas, let's have Thanksgiving, shall we? Let's think about our lives in terms of our Thanksgiving. And today, to sort of give us that mindset, that, that preparation for thanks for this week that's ahead and that special day on Thursday and that time with our family and that time together, I want to go back again to Hebrews chapter 6. Verses 16 through 19. I read it at the communion table. I want to share it with you again. And the key word I want you to think of is this. I want you to think of this word anchor. People swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf, this unchanging nature of his purpose was to find us, to redeem us, and to give us everlasting life through Jesus. And that's the anchor that we tie our entire life to. Now, when I think of anchors, I think of, probably like all of you, I think of boats. And I learned long ago that one of the wisest things that you can do is become good friends with people who own boats, Because then you don't have to deal with one, you don't have to park one, you don't have to care for one, you don't have to back one into the river, you can simply enjoy the boat and then you can go about your merry way. And so one of the things that we love to do in the summer, whether it's out on the river or whether it's up in Yankton, is we like to go out with a couple of our very close friends and we just like to be out on a boat all day. And one of my favorite parts of that boating experience, typically uh, it's up at Yankton, is when we drop anchor. And everyone just dives in, and we just start swimming. I love to swim. There's my dive. I think someone mentioned that this morning. Diving in. We like to swim. And I don't like to wear a life jacket, and I like to think that I'm a pretty strong swimmer. But here's what I really like and what I can appreciate about that boat anchor. As I swim away from that boat, I'm never getting so far where if I got in any trouble, I could swim my way right back. That boat is anchored The strength of that anchor is what's securing the center of that experience for me. And I really want you to think about that in light of God's Word. God's Word needs to be the anchor, it's the center of everything we think, it's the center of everything we do. And so we ask ourselves this morning what are we anchored to? What are the things that we put our priorities on? Where are the times that we spend? Where are we investing everything, our time, our treasure, our talent? Where is that anchored? And I would encourage you today, I would challenge you today to let that anchor be the word of God. Let that anchor be the community of those surrounding you who are also in the word of God. You know, one great example of a man who was anchored to God is Jeremiah. I don't have these verses in your notes today, but I want to share with you just a little bit about him and why these words are so important as they tie in to our Philippians verses. Jeremiah, in case you didn't know, was known as the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. Because his writings and his prophecies spoke of sorrow for the state of his homeland, Judah, and in particular for Jerusalem. And Jeremiah wept At the prophecies of destruction that he saw coming for his country. It was becoming wicked. It was turning its back on God. And Jeremiah was constantly warning the wicked around him to repent, to turn. And he foretold the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, you can imagine how popular a guy like Jeremiah was in his day, can't you? Everyone's out having fun, doing their own thing, and he's the guy who has the blessing and the burden of being the voice of God telling them, hey, you better get on a different track here because we're heading for big problems. Kind of sometimes makes me feel how things are going in our world today, right? But Jeremiah in his time was a voice for God, and it was destroying him. That's why he's the weeping prophet. As he writes, you can see just the, the warnings that he believes are coming, But listen to what he says in Lamentations 3, despite all of the potential destruction because God is a just God and he has to have consequences for the actions of the the, the country and the the city that, that Jeremiah loved. Notice what Jeremiah says. Listen to where his anchor is. In Lamentations 3, starting with 22, it says, "...because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail." They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. And then I want you to listen to this verse very carefully because we're going to come back to it. Bookmark this in your minds. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let me ask you one more time. What are you anchored to? Where have you set your anchor down? We finished our study of Philippians last week. And I pray that the discussions that came from that study have opened some wonderful conversations. I hope they've challenged you to think more deeply about the joy that we find in all the areas of our lives when we devote to following Christ. It is with joy that we give thanks every single day. And for those of you who may be here for the first time and missed that series, or you maybe were here for one or two, I want to make sure that we kind of highlight the main points of this last month of study. And so I've chosen four verses, one for every chapter, one for every week, with the idea of this is one more thing of thanks. This is one more thing we can be thankful for as we walk in our lives with Christ. These four verses, let's start with Philippians 1.19. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Let's start right there. Let's be thankful that no matter what circumstances we face, no matter what struggles we go through, no matter what challenges we have to endure, we are assured that what happens to us, God will use for our deliverance. Give thanks for that, right? He delivers us. Number two, Philippians 2, 2-3 Paul writes, then, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather value others above yourselves. We We have a Savior who came to this earth in humility You ever stop and think about that? We're going to touch on this as we go through our study in December. Our Savior came to this world cloaked in humility, cloaked in love. We can be thankful for love, for his love. Number three, Paul tells us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I'm sorry, I'm reading the fourth one. I'm sorry. Let me go back to three. Sorry about that. Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we give our lives to Jesus, we are assured salvation. Amen? We're assured salvation. We have an eternal place in heaven. We have salvation. And now, number four, I apologize. Paul tells us, and these are four of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters... And I love, I love this verse. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or or received from me or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And if you do this, the peace of God will be with you. I want to go back through there one more time. And I just want you to ask yourselves, as you hear these words again, I want you to think about one place in your life, whether it's a person, whether it's something in your life, but I want you to think of one thing that stands out with every single one of these words. Can you think of something that is true? Can you think of someone or something in your life that is noble? Something or someone who is right. Something or someone who is pure and lovely, and admirable. Things that are excellent and praiseworthy because here's our promise from Scripture. If we put our thoughts, our minds, our action, and our intentions on these things, the promise is that the peace of God will come with that. And would it not be a really good way to enter this season but to come with the idea that we're going to be peaceful? (laughs) We're going to have a peace in our souls, we're going to have a peace in our minds, we're going to have a peace in our hearts. So how does that look? What can we practically do to get us there? Well, I'm going to show you something. I brought a prop here. This uh, was a gift that was given to us when we were married by my mother and father-in-law. And it says, uh, Jeff and Beth, July 3rd, 1998. So that's a pretty special chair, a pretty special chair. It's always held a a fairly prominent place uh, somewhere in our home, and it holds a prominent place today. But here's where this chair is meaningful, and here is the illustration that I want to leave you with this morning. We go back to Lamentations 3.26 and what Jeremiah wrote, to wait quietly for the Lord, what does that look like in our lives today? What does, what does that look like in the 21st century versus a prophet who wrote this well over 2,000 years ago? And here's what it looks like. And I want to share this with you because this is not mine. This is actually a Bill Hybels oh sorry. this is actually a, a Bill Hybels thing. And what I'd ask you to do, because I think anytime you learn a good teaching, you want to pass it along, but I want to give him full credit for this. This came from Bill Hybels' Coffee with God. If you YouTube it this week, you'll find it real quick. There's been thousands and thousands of hits on it. But Bill Hybels did a very short talk, and he called it Coffee with God. And he recalls a time when he met a young man at his church. And Bill was only 24 at the time. And this guy came up to him and he said, you know, Bill, I, I love all these things you do with teaching and preaching and getting close to God. But my struggle is I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to be involved. I'm, my life is crazy busy. I've got a family. I've got this career in advertising. And Bill Heibel said to him and caught him kind of off guard, he said, you know, I've learned that... I always make time for the things that are most important to me. I always make time for the things that are most important to me. I want to ask you this. How important is your time with God? How important is it? Because here's the teaching that I took from it, and here's how I'm applying it. I can't tell you how hard it is for me just to sit still. Can you, can you tell yet? I'm like sitting here rocking and everything. This is part of the thing. This is, so, this is part of what goes on with me too. I get so busy in my brain and busy in my body. I've literally had to stop, calm myself, and find a chair where I can spend time with God. So here's what the last two weeks have looked like. My morning protocol has changed a lot. And here's what my morning protocol is to a T. Here's what I don't do in the morning anymore. The first thing I do when I wake up, and I usually set my alarm for 5, 5.30 a.m., I don't go out and run first. I don't check my emails. I don't even look at my phone. I don't do anything to distract me. I get out of bed. I find this chair or another chair in our living room. I've got my Bible. I've got my lamp. And I've got my notebook. And I've dedicated the first 20 minutes of my day, the first 20 minutes of my day, to time with God. Just that simple. The first 20 minutes, God gets my best, right? Is that where it starts? Well, if he gets my best, then he better get my first fruits of time. And I can tell you what happens and what's been happening in the last two weeks. When I leave those 20 minutes, and sometimes it's 30 and sometimes it's a little bit more, my mind is, is in a much different place than it was when I first woke up. And I can promise you this, it's in a much different place than it would be if I was going through all the emails that came to me the night before. <laughs> right? So here's my challenge to you. Where's your chair? Where's the spot? Now, it might not be your living room chair. It might be, uh, it might be a, a booth at Starbucks. Um, it might be uh, on your way to work. It might be in your car. But where are you going to take time to give God your time. I've been really blessed. Um, I've been really blessed because God gave me a wife who is my best friend. And there are times when Beth and I will sit and talk. And it is intimate, the, the conversations. There is a connection and a closeness. I, I appreciate her wisdom. I, impre- I so appreciate her spirit. She just has a, a way of listening. <laughs> And when I spend time with her, here's what happens. When I leave my conversation with her, when I leave close conversations with my closest friends, you know what? They sort of linger with me the rest of the day. You ever notice that? The people who you are most close to, when you have meaningful conversations with them, you leave, but they don't leave you, do they? There's something about their spirit, there's something about that conversation that sort of still works inside your heart and it's working inside your mind. My encouragement to you this morning is this, what does that look like when you have that kind of an intimate conversation with God every single morning? Now, I'm going to tell you this, I've never had a burning bush moment, (laughs) I'll be honest with you. God has never just directly spoken to me like a voice, you know, that's talking to me, but I can assure you of this, and I think many of you could tell some of these same stories. When I am drawing closer to God, he speaks to me through whispers, He speaks to me with little voices, just just a little nudging sometimes inside my brain, inside my mind. It gives me a clear direction. I want to encourage you and also challenge you to find 20 minutes a day. Find 20 minutes where you can just set aside the rest of the world, all of the, the stresses, all of the pressures, all of the busyness, and especially now during these holidays. But find that 20 minutes to start your day, Find 20 minutes if you can at the end of the day and give God that time and see what he will do with it through you. Tell me that your mind is not calmer. Tell me that your spirit is not more settled. Tell me that you don't have a greater peace. We're going to spend the whole message next week talking about the peace of Christ, the Prince of Peace, we can't find that peace until we are tapped in and locked into the presence of God. And the only way we can do that is to be intentional about making that time. So I'm going to leave this chair up here for the next four weeks. I want it to serve as a visual reminder. I want it to be the symbol of this church and this commitment that we're going to have to not only, as we've talked about, building our community, but we're also talking about building our own personal connection our own personal relationship with Christ that only happens one way that's when you open up that book and you let the presence of Christ you let God speak to you through his word and through your prayers to him so how does that sound for the next month let's find 20 minutes every day now let's try one thing here before we close in prayer I want to go back to these four verses again I want you visually and mentally to think of a place you would be to apply this. Maybe that's in your home, like I said. Maybe that is, um, you know, Bill Heibel's talked about uh, a Burger King uh, restaurant. Every day for nine years he would go with a cup of coffee and he would do journaling right at a Burger King restaurant. I don't know where that place is for each of you. I don't know what it looks like, but I want you to think about it in terms of this chair. And I'm going to read these verses one more time. And after each verse that I read, I'm just going to give us each a pause to take a breath, to absorb that verse. Because I think that's what this looks like when we're doing this in our own time, in our own personal time with God. So that's what this is, maybe a little tutorial for me. I'm no expert at this, trust me. I followed a leading from Bill Hybels, and I applied it to myself. And I think it is so powerful, I want to share it with you as well. With joy, we give thanks. And I can tell you this, I've never entered into the presence of God through Scripture and not left feeling a sense of peace and a sense of joy. That's how valuable this is. So let's try this one more time. I'm going to have Joshua come up if he can um, sort of lead us uh, at, at, at the end of this morning's message. But I'm going to read these four verses again, these signature verses from Philippians. And just picture yourself in your chair, in your spot. Philippians 1.19, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. God, we thank you for delivering us. Philippians 2.2-3, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather value others above yourselves oursel- above yourselves father god thank you for teaching us how to love and giving us jesus to model that love philippians 3:20 but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the lord jesus christ father we thank you for simply saving us when we couldn't earn it on our own. And finally, Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And here's the biggie and the God of peace will be with you. Can we be thankful for that promise? There's one thing I vow to do every time I leave this chair. I want to find my wife, and I want to tell her how much I appreciate her. And all I want to do is encourage her. And I want to do the same for my kids, and I want to do the same for the people who come into my life every single day. You see, when I sit at this chair, there's only one voice that I want to hear, and that's God's voice. Speaking to me through his word. I want to leave you with one last verse and I'm going to close us in prayer. Philippians 4.13 We, each one of us, can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Let's give thanks. Father God, we are so thankful that you are a God who delivers us A God who loves us, a God who sent a son to give us salvation, and a God who fills us, who promises to fill us with peace. Fathers, we enter this incredibly busy time of life, the season of Christmas. Father, I pray that we can focus our attention on the only reason we should celebrate Christmas, and that is the birth of your son who brings us the deliverance, the love, the salvation, and the peace. We look forward to the opportunity to open your word, to study in life group, and to study each, each Sunday morning in this month ahead how your son came to fulfill the prophecy that Isaiah gave so many years ago. I pray for safe travel for everyone here today as, as we go and come about with family and friends um, to celebrate Thanksgiving. Father I just pray that you help us seek you because we know that you'll fill us with the peace that you promise when we turn our eyes toward the things that are you and it's when all of it's with all of this that I just give humble thanks and joyful praise in Jesus name I pray amen